Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? Awesome, 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 awesome. Well, we're going to be in the Old Testament today. Uh, we're going to be in Second Kings chapters 5 and 6. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading today. Uh, so I'll try, to, I'll try to make it as natural as possible when speaking. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's stories. And the Old Testament's full of stories. And stories are, are interesting and, and fun and memorable. And so that's going to be a good thing for us today. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you. And Father, we love your word. And Father, we thank you that you gave us so much of it. Father, I pray that as we study your word, that you will show us clearly through your Holy Spirit what it is that you're trying to show us, what it is you're trying to teach us, and how we can be changed by it. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your never-ending love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. So today's sermon title is called God's Desire to Make All the Nations Clean. 2 Kings chapters 5 and 6, if you want to be turning there. Now, Thanksgiving is this week, right? I just just checking. Uh, but I'm, I think the one thing that we should be most thankful for is God's mercy and love for us. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Um, this week, I want you to, to think about what you're thankful for, and I want you to tell people what you're thankful for this week. Um, but without God's love and mercy for us, we would be hopelessly lost, and there is no doubt about that. Uh, so let's jump right on in second Kings. So we're going to do a lot of reading today, but try not to try not to lose me. Naaman, the commander of the army for the king of Aram was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God, killing and giving life, that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, 
would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small baby, and he was clean. Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared, I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives in whose presence I stand, I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. Naaman responded, If not, please let your servant be given as much soil as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other god but the Lord. However, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Rimmon to bow and worship while he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow in the temple of Rimmon, when I bow in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So he said to him, Go in peace. After Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha, Gehazi, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, My master has let this Aramean Naaman off lightly by not accepting from him what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and asked, Is everything all right? Gehazi said, It's all right. My master has sent me to say, I have just now discovered that two young men from the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing. But Naaman insisted, please accept 150 pounds. He urged Gehazi and then packed 150 pounds of silver and two bags with two sets of clothing. Naaman gave them to two of his attendants who carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the gifts from them and deposited them in the house. Then he dismissed the men and they left. Gehazi came and stood by his master. Where did you go, Gehazi? Elisha asked him. He replied, your servant didn't go anywhere. And my heart didn't go when the man got down from his chariot to meet you, Elisha said. Is this a time to accept silver and clothing, olive orchards and vineyards, flocks and herds, and male and female slaves? Therefore, Naaman's skin disease will cling to you and your descendants forever. So Gehazi went out from his presence, diseased, resembling snow. Now, although Naaman was unclean on the outside... He was clean, cleaned on the inside because God had gotten a hold of his heart. Keep in mind, Naaman was, the, was a leader of the Aramean raids, the army, and they were raiding Israel. So this is Israel's enemies. So Naaman, as an enemy of Israel, in one of his raids, brings back a girl as a servant and she says, I know a man in Samaria who can heal you of your skin disease. And so Naaman goes to his master, the king, and asks permission to go to Samaria to see if he can be healed by this man of God. And the king sends a letter to the king of Israel and says, I have sent my servant Naaman to you for you to heal him of his skin disease. Now, now what, what would you expect? You would, ex you would react the same way the king of Israel did. I can't heal this man of his skin disease, he said. Am I God? He said. 
Surely the king of Aram is just trying to pick a fight with me. And so the man of God, Elisha, the prophet, sends word to the king and says, send him to me. So so the king says, okay, so Naaman's going to Elisha's house. And it says he shows up at Elisha's door. And then what would you expect to happen? You would expect Elisha to come out. But he didn't. Elisha didn't even go to the door to talk to him. He sent one of his servants to the door to tell him, go wash in the river seven times and be clean. This is what so infuriated Naaman. You know, Naaman is top of the line next to the king. He is the leader of the army. He tells people what to do and they do it. He, he has respect from everybody or he demands respect from everybody. And then he travels all this way and brings gifts. He brings all this, this silver and gold and articles of clothing as a gift to this man for him to be healed. And the man won't even come to the door and talk to him himself. And he says, go wash in the river seven times. He's furious. And so he leaves furious. But thankfully, one of his servants that's with him says, look, if he had told you to climb some mountain or if he had told you to do some difficult, difficult thing, wouldn't you have done it? And he's like, yeah, I probably would have. He's like, how much easier just to go wash seven times? So he says, okay, I'll go wash. So he goes in the river, dips himself in seven times, and he's healed. And then he has a complete heart change. There's the paradigm shift. There's the change. Because he didn't really believe it, if we're just going to be honest. He didn't believe he was going to be healed after dipping in the river seven times. He just figured, I've come all this way. I would have done something difficult. I might as well do it. What's it going to hurt? And then he's healed, and then it's boom. This God is real. And he says one of the most important things. Let's see. Let's jump back. It said, so, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan. Your skin will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left saying, I was telling myself, this is Naaman. He said, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Now let's think, what if Elisha had done that? What if Elisha had come out, waved his hand over his skin, and it was healed? Who would have gotten the credit? Elisha. So now we're starting to see the picture. Elisha didn't come do anything. Elisha took himself completely out of the picture. Because he wanted God to receive all the credit. And what happened? I can't find it right now. But he came back. He came back to Elisha and said, Now I know that there is no God except the God of Israel. You know, he come from a land where they worshipped other gods. Matter of fact, he talks about coming, worshipping another god with his master, the king of Aram, and going into the temple of Ramon and, and kneeling down and bowing in worship to this false god. But Naaman was convinced when he saw his skin healed, and it wasn't Elisha that did it. It wasn't Elisha's magical powers and, and some kind of chant or anything that he had done. He was just cleaned in the rivers of the Jordan. 
And he gave all the credit to God. And he knew that there was no God but God alone. And look at the effort that God went through to show the enemy of Israel. Who had just been on raids of Israel. Who had plundered Israel on a regular basis. That he was God and that he wanted to heal him. But then who, who messed the whole thing up? Gehazi. Gehazi went running after him and he said, my master has let him off this Aramean. And that shows his, his, his racism right there and his hatred towards this, this enemy nation. Which, I mean, I, I probably couldn't blame him for hating the Arameans because they were raiding and destroying people he probably knew in Israel. So I can't blame him for being angry with the Arameans because they were his mortal enemies. But he was not willing to submit to God's mercy to the Aramean. God was showing mercy to the Aramean. He didn't take anything from the man. He didn't didn't accept any form of payment from the man. He said, keep everything you have and go be made well. And Gehazi said, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, not on my watch. I'm going to get something out of this. He's been taking advantage of us. I'm going to make sure I get something from him. And so he chases him down, lies to him, and gets a ton of money and clothes for himself, carries him back, and then what happens? Of course, you're not going to get off the hook. God sees everything. And so then Gehazi receives the skin disease that Naaman had. Because, see, Naaman was unclean on the outside, and Gehazi was clean on the outside. He was an assistant to the priest. He had to be clean. But their hearts is what mattered. And so Naaman's heart was changed and his heart was cleaned on the outside because God got a hold of his heart. But Gehazi's heart was not clean because greed had got a hold of his heart. And so God reflected that on the outside. He made Naaman clean on the outside to represent his clean heart on the inside and he made Gehazi unclean on the outside to represent his unclean heart on the inside. And then right after this, he tells us another story. So stick, let's stick with me here. So, chapter 6, verse 8, right after this, he tells us another story. It says, when the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, now some time had passed. We don't know how much time had passed. I don't know. I'm assuming not a lot of time had passed. Because it's still the same king and it's still the same prophet, Elisha. It, does, it just gives the stories pretty much back to back. So there's, it, we assume not a lot of time has passed. But some time has passed. It says, When the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants, My camp will be at such and such a place. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Be careful passing by this place, for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. The king of Aram was enraged because of this matter, and he called his servants and demanded of them, tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel. Okay, if you're not quite following what's going on here, 
Every time that the king of Aram decided that they were going to go on another raid and attack Israel at a certain place, God would tell Elisha, hey, the king of Aram is planning on attacking Israel at such and such a place at such and such a time. So Elisha would send one of his servants to go warn them so that they would be prepared and either not be there or be ready for them. And every time the king of Aram came up with a plan, this is when I'm going to attack Israel, this is how I'm going to attack Israel, they would already know when they got there and they wouldn't be able to attack them. And so the king is furious because he thinks there is a mole within, his, within his, 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 the people he's talking with. And so somebody is for the king of Israel and he's enraged and he says, tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel. One of his servants said, no, no one, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in your bedroom. So the king said, go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Now, I'm just going to point out, this is after Elisha had, healed, had told Naaman how to be healed. This is Naaman, the, king, the, the leader of the Aramean army. We do not read in this story that he sent Naaman. We don't know. Maybe Naaman said, look, there is no God but the God of Israel alone. I am not going to attack Elisha. Maybe Naaman pulled himself out of this. Maybe Naaman was right there leading the armies thinking, I really don't want to do this, but I got to do whatever the king tells me. I don't know. I can't pretend to know. But he's not mentioned. And I think that's a little bit significant. I don't think he was willing. I think he was so changed in the inside. I think he was so changed that he refused to attack Elisha. Now that is my assumption. I can't say that definitively, but that's how I feel about it. But we read, so they went and they surrounded the city where Elisha was. When the servant of the man of God, one of, the, one of Elisha's servants, got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, oh my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, don't be afraid for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, how would that make you feel? Here's this enemy army surrounding you and you are defenseless and you know you're in trouble. And then Elisha says, those that are with us are greater than those that are with them. And you're looking at Elisha and thinking, you've lost it. Like you have lost, we are like 16 guys, you know, this is a massive army, you know. And then he says, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And you see this chariots of fire all around you. Oh, I can't even imagine what that was like. When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed, slaughter them. No, that's not what he prayed. And that's significant that that's not what he prayed. Elisha prayed to the Lord, please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Then Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. You'll see why this is significant. When they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open these men's eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were in the middle of Samaria. 
When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, Should I kill them? Should I kill them, my father? So Elisha strikes, asks God to strike the entire Aramean army with blindness. And he says, Look, I'm not the guy you're looking for. Follow me. Everybody hold hands. We're going this way now. And he leads the entire army to be surrounded by the, the king of Israel in the middle of Samaria. And so now Israel has their whole army surrounding them. And then he prays for God to open their eyes. And here they are, just walked, I don't know how many miles it was, but just walked so many miles and they're all, you know, all blinded. And then they open their eyes and they're surrounded by the enemy army. And then the king of Israel said, should I kill them? Just give me the word, Elisha. Just give me the word. Elisha replied, don't kill them. Do you kill those you have captured with your sword or your bow? Set food and water in front of them so they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a big feast for them. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. The Aramean raiders did not come into Israel's land again. Man. Could you imagine how angry those Israelite soldiers were when they said, okay, get to work, feed them, get food, get drinks, prepare food for them, distribute it to them. And they're sitting there thinking, not on my life. This is our enemy. God has handed over to us our enemy. We know what we're supposed to do when God hands us over our enemies. And God said, take care of them, feed them, give, do good to them and send them away. And imagine Elisha. Imagine if me and you were Elisha. This story would be completely different, I think. If I was Elisha, this story would have been completely different. If I had healed or had played the part in, in helping heal the, the commander of the Aramean army and, and didn't accept any payment in return, and then as thanks for what I did, they sent an army to kill me, and then God blinded them all, I don't know that I would have had the compassion that Elisha had. Now, if God had gotten a hold of my heart, I would, but I'm talking about in the physical sense, in the natural sense. Naturally, we're not compassionate people. Naturally, we're selfish people. Naturally, we're vengeful people. We want to get back at people who do us wrong, especially when we think we've been wronged. We want to get back at them. But that's not what God wanted. And this shows us his heart, not just for Israel, but for Israel's enemies. God's heart was to save the other nations, not destroy all the other nations when God called Israel out as his people. Israel was to be a light to the nations, not a light that burned them to a crisp. A light that was supposed to point all the nations of how to have a relationship with God. See, God's pursuit of Israel was God's pursuit of everyone. But Israel lost track of that. They thought, we're the chosen people. We're the ones God loves. Y'all are the ones God hates. And that was so wrong. God wanted not just to heal and cleanse Naaman... He wanted to heal and cleanse Israel and Naaman and the Arameans and everybody else. 
He wanted people to come to Him humbly and repent and give their life to Him and worship Him. And then the family of God would include everybody. Not just those within the church. Everybody. God pursued, and this is so important, God pursued the Arameans while, that's the key word, while they were attacking Israel. In the midst of their, of, of their sin against Israel. In the midst of their hatred of God. In the midst of how they were, they were living against God and attacking God's nation. God pursued them while they were still sinners. And that's exactly what he did for us. Romans 5.8 But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't pursue people who have turned from sin. God pursues people who are sinning. Otherwise, he would never pursue anybody ever. Because this is our natural state. Our natural state is to sin against God. God pursues us then. God pursues us while we're still sinning. And asks us to submit to him by turning from sin. But if he didn't pursue us while we were against him, he would never pursue anybody. That's his heart. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, that has to become our heart. We have to pursue people while they're still against God. While they're still sinning. While they're still against us. We have to pursue them then. Because if we wait until they're not against us, we're, we're going to be waiting a long, long time. Because naturally, we are all these people. We naturally are selfish. We naturally are sinful. We naturally want to look to ourselves, want to do what's best for ourselves, want to get whatever we can get for ourselves. But God, being the God of the universe, laid himself down for us and pursued not what was best for him, but what was best for us. And so Elisha's prayer that he prayed for his servant... And that he prayed for the entire Aramean army was, Lord, open their eyes so they may see. That has got to be our prayer. Lord, open my eyes as your servant. Open my eyes so that I may see your pursuit of them. And Lord, open their eyes so that they may see your pursuit of them. A pursuit of not to destroy them, but a pursuit to feed them, take care of them, and send them home cleansed and healed. That was your pursuit. Make that my pursuit. Help me to open my eyes to see that in front of me and to help them open their eyes to see you chasing after them. Because if we don't pray the first prayer, then anybody who's getting on our nerves, anybody who's doing us wrong, we're never going to see that this is the person that God is actively pursuing right now. We're only going to see this is the person that has taken advantage of me or has not done me right or I'm going to get over on or I'm going to take advantage of them. 
That's how we see them, and we won't have our eyes open to see. No, 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 this is a person that God desires to heal, God desires to show mercy to, and God does not desire to be vengeful and to get back at this person. He wants to see them saved. Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Acts twenty six fifteen to 18. Paul said, when, when Jesus showed himself miraculously to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul said, I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Jesus pursued Paul while he was his enemy persecuting him. That's the story of all of us. He said, but get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And in the midst of this, God blinded Paul and then sent him to one of his servants to have Paul's eyes opened. And so you see this theme that keeps coming back over and over. We're all blind to what's really going on in God's pursuit of all of us. We're all blind to really seeing how God is actively pursuing each and every one of us. Because we get caught up in the midst of how somebody's treating me or what's happening to me. And so I just completely forget about how God is pursuing me and them at the same time. But from the very beginning, Jesus has said, look, I am pursuing everyone so that they may open their eyes and move from darkness to light so that they can be moved from the, king, from the, from the, from the realm or the, the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. We all need our eyes opened. We all need our eyes opened to see God clearly, to see his love for everyone, because we have such a short time here on earth. And God is showing mercy, and he's showing compassion, and he's holding off his judgment. But he will not forever hold away his judgment. It will come. It comes to every person at the end of their life on this earth. We all will stand before God as a judge. And we will either be forgiven or we will be condemned. One or the other. But it won't be based off of, I was a servant to Elisha. Therefore, I know I'm in the kingdom of God. No, Gehazi was not. Gehazi was not saved because of his proximity to someone else who was saved. You can't be saved because of your proximity to someone else who was saved. Every single person given to us as an example by Naaman has to make the decision themselves. Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and has done everything to save me? And am I willing to turn from sin? You must repent and believe. Because if you don't believe, then you reject Jesus. And if you don't repent, then you reject Jesus. Do not reject Jesus. Repent and believe in the only one who can save you. Because he's the only one that can open our eyes. 
and he is worthy of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, we'll never be able to comprehend, much less be able to thank you enough for your love for us. Father, your love for us is so overwhelming. We cannot ever fully grasp it. That you as the God of the universe would leave your throne in heaven and come all the way to earth to serve us, your creation, creatures made in your image, to serve us, to be mocked, to be killed, to be crucified by us in order to forgive us of our sins so that we could spend eternity with you. And you offer that freely to everyone, everyone who is willing to turn from sin and place their total faith and trust in you alone for their salvation. We just have to make a decision. Are we for you or are we against you? Do we trust you and do we love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Father, help us to make that decision to turn from sin to you, to follow you for the rest of our lives, to take a stand for you, to say that you have given me life, you have given me existence, you have given me breath. I wouldn't exist if you didn't put me here. I owe my entire life and everything I am to you. Father, it's all yours. I give you my life 100%, completely, genuinely. I love you. And I thank you for your love for me. Father, help us to follow you for the rest of our lives. And Father, thank you for the future you have in store for us. That those of us who would trust you, who would follow you and walk in your ways, that you have an eternal kingdom waiting us. A kingdom that we will spend eternity with no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more, no more difficult uh, relationships, no, no, more, no more cheating, no more lying, no more, no more anything that destroys the way you originally designed it. Father, I look forward to that. I look forward to the laughs. I look forward to the, to the love, to the excitement. I look forward to exploring your creation. You're going to remake the entire earth and heavens, and I'm so excited to looking forward to that. But Father, the one thing that we're going to value the most when we get there is not the stuff, not the things, not the, not the clothing, not the, the, the wealth. The one thing we're going to value the most is people. So Father, help us to spend the rest of our lives here on this earth, the little time we have, dedicated to people, pouring our love into others. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your infinite love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. If you would please stand and join us for our last song.